I want to thank all of you for coming today. I'm sure for many of you, it's either out of duty or you're a diehard because it's going to be 70 degrees today and it's a long weekend and you're here. So I, I thank you. Um, if I didn't work here, I probably wouldn't be here <laughs> today. Um, so I was asked to come and talk to you today about ethical, cultural, ethical culture identity. And um, this is not the sexiest of topics um, to be talking about. Um, and it kind of made me laugh a little bit about being asked to talk about it because it wasn't that long ago that I was terrified of the idea of having to describe what ethical culture is, what it means to be an ethical culturist. And so for me to come up here as a sort of expert of sorts um, is a little unnerving because it's really hard to describe a whole movement, right, and in a justice sort of way. Um, and it's not that easy to define, right? So theist is easy enough to define. Theist means belief in God. Okay, that's easy. Uh, Non-theist or atheist, no belief in God. Okay, that's easy too. Um, some other things can be a little bit easy, like we all kind of understand what, what Catholicism is, um, because it's, a lot of people are Catholic, right? So you know, like, oh, okay, there's a pope, and you follow those rules, maybe, and, <laughs> and uh, there's first communion before you can take communion, and so on. And, uh, but it's not so easy to describe what ethical culture is. There isn't a book, there isn't a creed, there isn't this thing that you can just grab a hold of and just know and say. So people come to us without much understanding, and they're like, so what is ethical culture? And if you're like me, you kind of get like this blank face of like, um, right? Now, I've gotten better. I've been part of ethical culture for 14 years. I'm the director of lifelong learning here, and... Um, before that, I was up in Northern Virginia as their director of ethical ed, and, and my newest role is that I'm the national director for ethical education, which it's a very small pool, but I'm supposed to be like the expert now, and um, I don't feel very expert, in it. and that's okay, and I'll explain why that's okay. So ethical culture is a small group, and unlike most religions, there isn't a creed to define us, and as Amanda says in her Path to Membership classes, her first platform address was, everything I learned about ethical culture, I learned through Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> and that's probably a good place to learn about it. Uh, most of us find ethical culture through friends. Raise your hands if that was you. Did you find ethical culture through friends? Okay. Driving by, seeing the sign. <laughs> uh, through a Google search or another type of online search. Yeah. Um, a phone book. <laughs> or, you were or you were born into it. Oh, oh there we go. Through, uh, through a Unitarian affiliation. You are. Okay. And how many of you, if you're sitting in your desk, your desk, oh my gosh, sitting in your chair right now, have absolutely no idea what you were walking into the first time you came? Right. Because we're really, really small. Ethical culture is so small, and I'll get a little bit more on the history in a minute, that most of us, as you can see, um, didn't really know what we were getting into when we came here. So, the phone book story. I have to share the phone book story. 
So my husband and I found ethical culture when we were planning to get married in 1993. So there wasn't the internet to go looking through. Or there was. There was it was like infant internet was at that time. <clears throat> so he went to the phone book. And I don't know what he was looking under or how he found it about how do you get married. I, I don't know. But he found the Chicago Ethical Society. And he somehow figured out that they were secular, and that's what we were looking for, um, for getting married. Now, we didn't get married through ethical culture for um, a variety of reasons. But we kind of tucked that in the back of our head of like, oh, that's kind of cool. There's a secular place that kind of acts like a church, sort of, and maybe someday we'll go. <laughs> someday was like three years later when we, um, we had a small child, that tends to be a thing that tends to bring people. You start to realize, like, oh, my gosh, I'm responsible for another human being and their ethical development, right? And so we started to go to the Chicago Ethical Society, and it wasn't very far from where we lived, and, uh, and we really enjoyed it in our short stay. We never became members there because we knew we were going to be moving um, at the end of that year. But we would go, we would listen to the talks, we would enjoy their potlucks that they would have after. The people seemed nice. We're like, okay, that was fun. And, uh, but we didn't really know what it was, except for a group of people getting together. Okay. Well, we moved. My husband started his PhD program, and uh, we did a lot of moving years, the four years for his PhD, and then afterwards, and nine years later, we found ourselves moving into the, um, this area in northern Virginia. And we still had that little thing tucked in the back of our head of ethical culture. So before we even moved here, we're, we, now the internet is fully up and active, we got online and we said, I wonder if they have an ethical culture society. And we were living in Northern Virginia, and they had one in Northern Virginia, and we said, great, let's start going. So we showed up the very first Sunday. They closed for summers. So the very first Sunday we showed up, and... Uh, we were ready to form community. We had been traveling. We had been moving. We didn't have any, like, base, right? We were really looking for a base. And we were going to find it, hopefully, at the Ethical Culture Society. Uh, Nova's at that time, they are past this, was very um, much a group of introverts, and they weren't very good about welcoming new people into the community at the time. But we were so determined <laughs> to have a place and our own that we just like, we're here, we're staying, you're going to like it, and that's it. Um, our son, who by that time was nine, almost nine, he really, really loved it. And at that time, we had just found out we were expecting our younger son. And... Uh, and we soon loved it. And then Northern Virginia began to grow and became more welcoming because they realized they should say hello to people when they came in. <laughs> and, uh, um, and that's where I'm still a member. and they're, they're a very dear group to me. Um, but we still didn't really know like, what it was. For us, it was just the people in the room who tended to think like us, right? They like to have community. They like to do, do things for the world. It all seemed... It's like, to, you know, it made sense. Deed before creed. Okay. They're teaching my child how to do some social service things, and they're teaching about different religions of the world. And it all seemed fine. Um, but I still wouldn't be able to answer, like, well, what is ethical culture? Um, and then, after I had been home for a while, I decided, you know, it's about time for me to go back to work. Now, I'd been a member there for, like, six years at the time. And so they were, um, at that time, having an opening for their director of um, ethical education. 
And since I had been out of work for a while, staying home with my children, I decided, well, this might be great. It's a part-time position. It's a way to kind of get my foot in the door for, you know, build your resume <laughs> so that I can um, go out and look, in, look into the world. But I realized, like, when I was applying, I'm like, I, I don't know what ethical culture is all about. I've been coming here for six years. I don't know, you know, what I'm getting into. And then I got the job, and I was very excited about it. And then it just kind of hit me like, oh, my gosh. I'm supposed to be an expert now. I'm teaching these children about ethics. And what did I just get myself into? And on top of that, they wanted me to give a talk. That was part of the job at the Northern Virginia Ethical Society is that the director of ethical ed gives a talk um, once a year about the ethical education program. And then I was really like, oh, no. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So Google is my friend, and so I went and I started Googling things, and I discovered some amazing, amazing things. Uh, I discovered more about um, Adler. I didn't really know much about Adler. I knew who he was. Yes, I've heard his quotes. I've heard a, heard a few things. I remember trying to read something of his before, and it was very hard for me to concentrate on his writings because it's very Victorian-type writing. But I found more. So what I found was that, uh, as I find my place, what I found is that Felix Adler, making sense, was born in 1851. I knew that he was um, training to be a rabbi, like his father. Uh, and I knew that when he was studying, when he went to Germany, that he had uh, discovered some neo-Kant philosophy where they talk about the notion that, any, that anyone can prove or disprove, I'm sorry, that notion that one cannot prove or disprove the existence of a deity or immortality, and that morality can be established independent of theology. And that really kind of stuck with him. He returned to New York, all ready to be a rabbi at the age of 23, and he gave a t uh, sermon at the temple his father led. And his sermon was called The Judaism of the Future. And it shocked the congregation because he didn't mention God once in his talk. He introduced the concept of Judaism as a universal religion of morality for all of mankind. The sermon was his first and his last. Instead, in 1874, because a professor, he became a professor at Cornell of Hebrew and Oriental um, literature. And he was very popular with the students because he would discuss this new religion idea that he had. Um, and he would talk about labor struggles and powerful politics. And he was brewing more like what he could do with this idea that he had. In 1876, he began to give lectures um, uh, similar to the one that he gave at his father's temple that time. And he, reiter he reiterated the need for religion without the trappings of ritual of creed that united all of mankind and moral social action. It was to do away with theology, and, to, and it was supposed to unite theists and atheists and agnostics and deists, all in the same religious cause. A few weeks after that sermon, he started to give weekly lecture series. And then in 1877, when he was just 26 years old, with the help of some members of his father's um, synagogue, he incorporated uh, the Society of Ethical Culture in New York City. So it all happened very, very quickly from the time he came back and the time he went on. Within the first five years of his work, he started the, um, the New York Society started the Free Kindergarten, 
which offered a free uh, preschool education for immigrant families in New York working in working-class neighborhoods. They founded the Tenement Housing Building Company to decrease overcrowding and provide housing for the old, poor, and orphaned children. The New York Society also founded the District Nursing Service. The team of nurses traveled to the homes of sick, homebound people living in low-income areas. They also started Working Man's School that was a free school for children of the working poor. And the school integrated academic learning and industrial skills training to provide children with a quality education. And this school it still is in existence. It's now um, the Ethical Culture School in New York. So they did that all like in five years. Like that's more than most people do in their lifetime. And they did it at the very, very beginning. There was so much energy and so much passion to do that. And that started to make me feel really proud of like, wow, I'm part of all of that. And we're still working for that. And, um, and that wasn't like five years ago. That was 150 years ago. And it was much bigger than I realized. And it started to make sense, this deed, not creed. So I did some more Googling, and I learned that um, Sunday school, the educating of youth, was very important from the very, very beginning of ethical culture. It wasn't the thought of like, well, what do we do with the kids while we sit around and talk? No. It was children are important, and they need to have these things instilled that they should question, that they should help other people, and they wanted to support that while they also talk to the adults in the room. In Adler's lifetime, uh, there were six societies that started and are still in existence. That's in, in, in order, it was New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, St. Louis, London, Brooklyn, and Westchester. Adler died when he was 81 years old in 1933. And then Washington Ethical Society was the first one that was formed after his death um, in 1944. The ethical culture movement continued to grow. They added 14 more societies and since, West, uh, since West, and they've recently added three new circles. So while membership is very, very small, it's kind of expanded and contracted over time, the movement is actually still growing. We have something kind of brewing in Denver. We have one brewing in, in uh, Canada, Atlanta, Susquehanna, Philadelphia, and that's all in the last year things are beginning to come, because people need that and are looking for that. But while we're small, what we do is big, right? When you think of some of those things that they've done, it's been very big. So in my searching, I'm beginning to feel like, wow, you know, I, this small group has done some amazing things. Well, t I want to know more. Remember, going back five years ago. So part of what, knowing what ethical culture is, is knowing what the um, eight commitments are. Now I'm going to go through them. For me, they're very dry. So I'm going to, you know, so just bear with me as, as I go through them. But the, there are eight things that kind of make us what we are. This is like ethical, the core. So ethics is central. The most central human issue in our lives is creating a more humane environment. Okay, that makes sense. Second one, ethic begins with choice. Creating a more humane environment begins by affirming the need to make significant choices in our lives. Yeah, I can see how that's true. Three, we choose to treat each other as ends, not means. To enable us to be whole in a fragmented world, we choose to treat each other as unique individuals having intrinsic worth. I didn't quite understand that one at first, but I think what it means is you're supposed to be working with people instead of using people that everyone has a worth. 
The fourth one, we seek to act with integrity. Treating one another as ends requires that we learn to act with integrity. This includes keeping commitments and being honest, open, caring, and responsive. Okay, so to me this means we need to treat people with respect, and we need to be caring, and we need to be honest. Okay, I can get on board with that one too. We committed to educate ourselves. Personal growth is possible both in wisdom and social life learning how to build ethical relationships and cultivating a human a humane community is a lifelong endeavor basically stay curious stay aware form community and always be diligent and try to work toward the progress toward equality and justice the sixth one self-reflection in our social nature requires us to shape a more humane world growth of the human spirit is rooted in self-reflection but can only come to full flower in community this is because people are social, needing both primary relationships and larger support of groups to become fully human. Our social nature requires that we reach beyond ourselves to decrease suffering and increase creativity in the world. Again, this is kind of telling me that humans need humans, and we're stronger as a group than we are as individuals, and we should try to work together to make a better world. The seventh one, you still with me? Okay, seventh one. Democratic process is essential to our task. The democratic process is essential to humane social order because respect for the worth of persons requires democratic process, which elicits and allows greater expression of human capacities. Okay, good. Life itself inspires a natural religious response. Although awareness of impending death intensifies the human quest, the mystery of life itself and the need to belong are the primary factors motivating human religious response. I didn't quite get that one, and I think partly because I'm one of those people who tend to get tripped up by the word religious. And, um, but basically, I think what it's trying to say is that we need community as part of our life, our whole life, just being human. You, you need, we need each other. And since at the time, and now, I'm working with children, guess what? There are children core values, too. But these are simpler, so they're easier for me to really get behind. Every person is unique and important. Yes, of course. Every person, decide, every person deserves to be treated fairly and kindly. Of course. I can learn from everyone. Yes. That's good and bad you can learn, right? You learn, <laughs> right? You learn from everyone, from everything you see. Um, I'm a part of this earth. I cherish it and all life upon it. Yes. Which is why today in Sunday school, they're reading their story, and then they're all going outside. Because it is too nice of a day to be cooped up inside. And that's part of being part of this earth too, right? Is enjoying it and exploring it. Because if you enjoy it, you'll take better care of it. I learn from the world around me by using my senses, mind, and feelings. Yes. I am a member of a world community which depends on the cooperation of all people for peace and justice. Yes. I can learn from the past to build for the future. I sure hope so. I am free to question. To me, this is one of the core, core, core things for children. That would be number one. We don't want our children or you to just go through the world and not question things. You need to question. It can be annoying as a parent to have children questioning all the time, but that's what we really want. Um, I am free to choose what I believe. Yes. I accept responsibility for my choices and actions. Very important. And I strive to live my values. Yes. So that's, that's all the rules that we're supposed to kind of live by. And to me, those aren't rules, right? That's just like, well, that's what being a 
decent human being is, right? It's just these are the things you should do. And for me, it seems kind of like intuitive. It's part of like who we are or who we're born to be. If, and if our life goes accordingly, we can be. And I think that's why it makes it hard to describe what ethical culture is. Because to me, it's like, well, you're just good to people and you hang out together and you do so in a loving world. You know, <laughs> that's it. Um, and so then it still is like, well, that, does that make me an expert in it? Well, I don't think you have to be an expert in it because we don't have a creed, right? You need to live it, right? You need to live um, the values. Um, you need to take care of the planet. You need to do the best that you can. Um, and you've got to remember, this was a movement that was formed during a time that people didn't understand that morality could be separate from God. That was like a whole new concept. I was born in a kind of secular home, and it's like, well, of course you're just good because... You want people to be good to you. I mean, it just makes sense. But this was a whole new thing. And a lot of people are still tied to, well, I'm only good because the Bible tells me to, or, or God tells me to, or someone else, some other higher being tells me to. But ethical cult- culture is all about you are human. And as a human, you should want to take care of other people and of yourself, and that is ethical culture. And that's, and that's it, Period. So it's a movement that focuses on human goodness and building ethical relationship with each other and the earth. We do not concern ourselves with the existence or non-existence of a deity, but instead embrace the diversity of our membership. That's straight from the AEU website. Okay, all of that I can get behind. It all makes sense. There's still that little sticky part of what are you and that religion question, right? Because that's what people are really trying to ask, like, you know, they just get this doubtful question mark in their head. Um, and I think that's a very personal question. Even in my time with them part of Ethical Ed, I have seen the AEU mission statement go from including saying it's a religion to taking, take, to taking it out. So right now the current mission says, the American Ethical Union creates, nurtures, and inspires ethical humanist communities to foster a world that is democratic, compassionate, just, and sustainable. It used to say it's a religion that does all of that. But they realize that we all are in conflict with that. Some people call it a philosophy. I tend to say it's my way of life. Some people say it's religion. And it really doesn't matter what you call it. The only thing that is kind of important to remember is that the government sees us as a church because we function as a church. When you think about it, you're here on a Sunday. Your children, if you have children, are in the Sunday school program. We gather to celebrate birth, marriage, death. We have winter festivals. We have um, pastoral care. We are a community. We are a church, right? All the literature, like when I was getting hired, we read like, you know, behaviors in church. You know, it's very religiously led book, but it exactly fits how we fit as a community in our behaviors. But you can use whatever words you want to. You know, if you want to call it a religion, great. If you don't want to call it a religion, great. Because that's one of the beauties about ethical culture is that you define it because there isn't a creed. My friend Phyllis um, Duncan, she goes by Maggie online, um, she wrote something um, for an article a few years ago. And she says, ethical culture has no creed or core, central beliefs 
central belief adherents are required to accept on faith. Whether you believe in supernatural beings or not is entirely up to you. We don't require it, nor do we insist that you don't. We accept that our focus is here on earth and not striving for an afterlife or at the expense of others. We acknowledge that every human being had dignity and worth, and boy, sometimes that's hard. Yes? <laughs> and that by bringing out the best in others, we bring out the best in ourselves. Ethical culture is flexible and adaptable, and it has been on the proper side of many social justice issues, race relations, women's rights, the environment, gay marriage, to name a few including transition from an oil-based culture. Ethical culture is an aspirational movement dedicated to cultivating an ethical life. She also explained in, um, further that it was very meaningful for her, like when her father, where her brother was dying, that she had a place that was supportive for her, that people could support her in the way that she needed to be supported. In, in her case, it was not people saying, well, God's watching over him. That's fine if that's what you need, but sometimes you need a place where it can be I hear you, I'm taking care of you, I'm sorry for your loss. Now, people in, this, in our community are theists, non-theists, Buddhists, you know, all, all kinds of things. And it doesn't really matter, but we know how to respond to people in their human way. So the next time someone asks you what is ethical culture, you can choose your own words, you can define it however you want. But if you want a go-to phrase, you can use the mission statement, it's really short. It's that we're a humanist movement focusing on human goodness and building ethical relationships with each other and the earth, and we are a group of communities that fosters a world that is democratic, compassionate, just, and sustainable. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get the whole world to just agree to that? Because really, the whole world, no matter what you believe outside here, could be ethical culturists. And I think that's kind of I see as our job is to help people find us because that's what we we want the whole world to be better and uh, religion in general is shrinking and shrinking but I don't think ethical culture needs to shrink because we it's a never-ending battle to try to get better and better and better and uh, and I think we can grow that so I think we're out of time is that correct now we have a little more time so I'm gonna read those opening words one more time from um, Algernon Black. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about who he is. So Algernon Black, he was, he was alive <laughs> from 1900 to 1993. He was a 1923 graduate of Harvard College, and he was a humanist leader at the New York Society. And he took the reins, kind of, sort of, after Adler's death. He was an educator, a radio commentator. You might have heard some of his talkings on, on old, old radios. Um, he also chaired the board of directors of the New York State National Committees Against Discrimination in Housing and was a chair of the Civilian Complaint Review Board of the Police Department of the City of New York. From 1950 to 1966, Black served as the vice president of the NAACP. In 1963, he was awarded a citation for distinguished citizenship of the City of New York. And he was um, friends with the Roosevelts. He, he was a very, very important person that I don't think gets very much attention um, in um, ethical culture, but he was very important. So I'm going to read his words again that I read at the beginning. This is a call to the living, to those who refuse to make peace with evil, with the suffering and the waste of the world. This is a call to the human, not the perfect. 
to those who know their own prejudices, who have no intention of becoming prisoners of their own limitations. This is a call to those who remember the dreams of their youth, who know what it means to share food and shelter, the care of children and those who are troubled, to reach beyond barriers of the past, bringing people to communion. This is a call to the never-ending spirit of the common man, his essential decency and integrity, his unending capacity to suffer and endure, to face death and destruction and to rise again and build from the ruins of life. This is the greatest call of all, the call to faith, the call to a faith in people. Thank you.